Lemon and River Oaks. Yeah, did y'all ever see that show, uh, King of Queens? And she was feeling like she was losing her touch, the wife, so she just walked by construction sites and she kept home and she was like, nothing, nothing. They didn't even look at it. No, anyway, I don't want to make light of it, but I also don't want to give it more attention than it deserves. But anyway, just be very aware when you're walking out to your car. Um, and if you ever feel uncomfortable, there's security on site here. And if you need someone to walk you to your car, they'll find somebody to walk you to your car. Um, but listen, it's good. I mean, we're in River Oaks. This is the hood. So just know <laughs> that this stuff is going to happen. But anyway, we did want to make you aware of it. And St. John is aware of it. And um, stuff like that happens. But all is well. Our sweet girl is okay. Everything is fine. Uh, now, this is what the recorder? Yeah, this recorder. Okay, so this goes on this yeah. side. Okay. Thanks, Sylvia. Good grief. You know, any time I feel as though the enemy is coming at us, here's the thing. We always want to be in awe of God and aware of the enemy. Okay? We don't ever want to get that flipped. But any time I sense spiritual oppression coming at us or when that opposition that comes, any time you take a step closer to the Lord, opposition will come. But here's the thing, it's always pretty subtle in the sense that it'll be like your schedule just gets crazy or your emotions are out of sync and something that's not a big deal all of a sudden becomes a big deal or you just feel kind of weighted down. There's a lot of subtle attacks that will come your way. Here, here's the thing, I always see it as flattery because if I'm not a threat to the enemy, I'm just, that means I'm on the sidelines in my faith. And so just know that. So it's not anything to be scared about, but just know if you're walking with the Lord, if you are a child of God, you believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you stand opposed. You stand opposed. And so it comes as no surprise to Sylvia and Cheryl and myself that as we step out in faith and began this ministry, being led by the Holy Spirit, that we would face opposition. And so we've certainly faced opposition. But at the same time, the feedback that we get that God is showing us on what he is doing in our midst is worth every bit of it. It is such a blessing to us when we hear your stories. So keep telling us your stories. What is God doing? Because he's the hero in the story. So anytime you leave Bible study and you sense God spoke to you or he saw you or, or you just got something that you really needed that day, that's not me. That's the Lord that sees you, that loves you, that's speaking to you. And give us that feedback. That's our paycheck. Really, that's what makes it all worth it for us. So I just love it. Y'all are so gracious to me. And when I come in, you're so sweet. You'll say, oh, I just needed that last week. Or this is what I got from it. And it just, it's just fueling to all of us. So keep sharing your stories with each other and with us. So, all right, let me pray for us. And then I want to jump into today's lesson. Father, we come to you today and we stand in awe of you and your presence. And you tell us, like I say over and over, when two or more are gathered in your name, you're among us. So we say thank you. Thank you, Lord, that you're with us. Lord, you see us. You love us. You're at work in our lives. And so I'm asking for the next few minutes, God, would you just speak powerfully a word that we need to hear? Would you take your living and active word and make it come alive in our hearts? Would you pull the veil off of our eyes and unplug our ears and, and give us the courage just to trust you enough to receive and believe what it is you're saying to us today? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so let me do a quick catch-up. We're in week five of a seven-week series called Yes. And it's yes, meaning what are God's promises? What are the foundational truths that God has said yes to us about that we can take to the bank? 
And remember, if, if you remember a few weeks ago, I differentiated from, has he promised me that my children will always be safe and happy and healthy? No, he's not specifically given me that, that promise. He can speak to us about our children all the time. But he doesn't, we don't come into the world with our agenda saying, this is what I want God to promise me. And if that comes to fruition, if I get to see that lived out, then I'll know that he's good and I'll trust him. But it's got to look like this. My husband needs to, I mean, we got to live in this area and he needs to continue to move up and to the right in his career and he certainly needs to always adore me. And he always needs to be happy because a happy husband is the happy home, really. Right? And my kids, I want to have kids and I want to have them when I want to have kids. And I want them to be darling all the time. And I don't ever want to have to butt heads with them. And, and I don't ever want my husband to lose his job. And I want to have the career that I want. And I don't want it to stress me out. Right? And so we come with all these conditions and expectations and, and some of them are, are valid dreams that are given to us by God and some of them are just our own fleshly desires. It's just a mixed bag, is it not? And God says, come, bring it all to me. But what he doesn't say is, come, bring it all to me and I'm going to work it all out for you just like you want. Because if he does that, then who's really God? I'm God. I'm the center. I don't want to worship me. I need a God that's bigger than me. Because there's a lot of things that I really thought, I'll die if I don't have that. I'll die if I don't marry that guy. Thank goodness I didn't marry that guy. <laughs> right? And so we think that we know what's best for us, but in reality, the creator of me knows what's best for me. My challenge is in week one, when we looked at God's original intention for me and for you, was goodness. It was harmony, it was peace, it was thriving. But because Eve ate the apple, believed the lie, that did God really say not to eat from this tree? Oh, God's holding out on you. He's just threatened by you. Because if you eat that, you're going to know the knowledge of good and evil. Yeah, he's ridiculous. Take the fruit. She did. And the instant response was she began to hide and feel shame. And the result of that shame is that she no longer really believed that God was good. She didn't believe that he was good, but she also didn't believe that he had good intentions toward her. He didn't believe that he could really love her because after all, she felt shame, which is self-hatred. So we come into this world as a child of Adam and Eve. We're descendants. Whether you believe that or not, just look at your kids. You don't have to teach them how to lie. Right? You don't have to teach them how to be selfish. We come in and we're created in the image of God. We're created in the image of God. So there's goodness and sweetness, but there's this sin problem that we all encounter. And so God wants to redeem that. And he comes back with Jesus and he says he's the final sacrifice and he's the atonement for your sin so that we can be brought back into relationship. So his intentions were always good. And then week two, we looked at what does he promise? He's promised that he always loves us. He does, do you love me, God? Yes. Yes. And then we looked at his, his plans for our lives. Are his plans good plans? Are they going to hurt me? Is he asking me to squash my dreams? No. Is he asking me to surrender my agenda and my route to get there? Yes, he is. I know the plans I have for you. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. They're good plans. They're not to harm you. Their plans to give you a hope and a future. So the challenge was, will you loosen the fist? Will you let go and say, God, my plans are in your hands. My kids 
My plans for my children are in your hands. My plans for my family, my future, all of it, it's yours, and I'm going to entrust them to you, believing that you have my best intentions at heart. And this week we're going to look at another question. And the question is this, Lord, will you keep me? Will you keep me? Now that, I'm going to unpack that just a little bit, but that's it. Will you keep me, Lord? His answer is yes. But what does it mean to be kept by the Lord? Let me give you some synonyms that will paint the definition. To be kept or to keep means to preserve, to sustain, to strengthen, to look after, to maintain, to preserve. There's lots of others, but these stood out to me the most. To preserve. What's he preserving? What's he preserving? To sustain. What is he sustaining? To strengthen. What is he strengthening? What is he holding on to? God, what are you holding on to? What does that mean? In John it says that those that have placed their faith in Christ, that we're placed in the palm of his hand and no one can snatch us out of his hand. No one can snatch us out of his hand. So he's, he's promised to hold on to me, to look after me, to maintain me. But to maintain what? Because if you've lived 30 minutes in this world, you see that it's a battlefield. You see that tragedy befalls us, that people die too soon, our health doesn't always sustain, our children don't always follow in the belief system that we want them to. This world is, is full of battles, full of disappointment, full of tragedies, full of curveballs. So what are you keeping, Lord? What are you keeping? What do you mean by that? He means that he's keeping your soul. And I'm interchanging the word soul and spirit today. He's keeping your spirit. That's that inside. Let me give you a few passages of scripture that back this up. 2 Corinthians 4.16 says, That's why we never give up. Paul is speaking. That's why we don't ever give up. Our bodies, and when he says bodies, he means our physical bodies, this earth suit that my spirit lives within. Our physical bodies are dying, but our spirits are being renewed every day. My spirit is not sagging like my physical body is. My spirit does not go through menopause like my physical body will and is right on the doorstep of it feels like. Right? My physical, my spiritual body, my knees always work. But this physical body, I just tried to run the other day and my knees are sore still. Our physical bodies are deteriorating and our inner bodies, our inner spirits are being renewed day by day. I love the way the message version of scripture words it. It says this, so we're not giving up. How could we? Even though on the outside it often looks like things are falling apart. Will that not preach? Even on the outside, it often looks like things are falling apart. But on the inside, where God is making new life, not a day goes by without his unfolding grace. Not a day goes by without his unfolding grace. His compassions are new every morning. It says these hard times are small potatoes compared to the coming good times. The lavish celebration prepared for us. There's, a far more, there's far more here than meets the eye. The things that we see now are here today and gone tomorrow. But the things that we cannot see will last forever. Will last forever. We're going to talk about that a little bit more in today's passage. 
And one more before we move into what we're studying. In Philippians 4, starting at verse 11, it says, Not that I was ever in need, for I've learned how to be content. This is Paul. He says, I've learned, key word, I've learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation. Now, what's the secret he's about to tell us? Whether it is with a full stomach or empty or with plenty or little, the secret is that I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Even so, you've done well to share with me in my present difficulty. He's speaking to the church in Philippi. So my question to you and to me today as we continue to move on is if God says that he will keep me, that he will preserve me, that he will keep my spirit intact, what is it I'm really afraid of? Why then do I continue to live in fear with trusting him with everything? There's a lot. There's a lot. But I think for a lot of us, we are very, very fearful because we live in the natural world, so that's everything to us. So our physical bodies mean everything. It's not that we worship our physical bodies, but we give a lot of attention to the here and now, including our physical bodies. And so when we engage, when we enter into a health crisis, it is scary, but it doesn't have to derail my faith. But here's what I know about me, is oftentimes it's a wake-up call because I realize I'm really banking on this life. I'm really putting all my eggs in this basket. Now, intellectually, my eggs are in heaven. I know that I'm going to heaven. I know this isn't all there is, and I can tell you the Sunday school answers. But here's what I know to be true about what I really believe is when crisis hits. When the unexpected comes, when I am out of control and I can't fix it, that's when it gets down to the nitty-gritty and the Lord reveals my heart. You know, when David said, search me, know my anxious thoughts. What are they? Where are they coming from? Here's where they're coming from. Because I'm living in this natural world and I've lost perspective that there's another spiritual world out there. I've lost perspective. So everything is about right now. So if my kids aren't well, I'm not well. If my health is deteriorating, I'm in crisis. And so I don't want to follow the Lord with abandon because God forbid, what will he do to me or ask of me? What if it takes me out of my comfort zone? What if he asks me to move? What if he sends my kids off to the jungle as missionaries? What if he sends our family off to the jungle as missionaries? What if something happens to my kid? Here's the thing. When tragedy befalls you, it's not God that's orchestrating evil. God is sovereign, and anything that comes through my life passes through his hands first. Now, sometimes he providentially orchestrates it, and other times he just allows it to happen. He's always in control, but I spend a lot of unnecessary time blaming him for the things that happen in this fallen world. Listen, y'all, as soon as she took a bite of that crispy apple, sin entered the picture, and we've lived in a hellacious fallen world ever since, where cancer strikes, where children die before they should, where marriages fall apart, where relationships crater, where jobs are lost, where finances tumble. Where evil exists. So what have you promised me, God? I am preserving you in the midst of it. Your spirit will remain intact. Is that enough for you and for me? Is that enough? 
That's an honest question that deserves some thought. Is it enough? Here's what makes it enough for me, is when I know you, Lord, when I've tasted you, when I know you, and all this head knowledge, all this Sunday school answer moves down to my gut, my heart, you know, the seat of your soul, it's your heart, which is also, when it's really translated, the heart means like guts, like the inner workings of your soul. You know, when you get something down there, you don't lose it. There are things that God has taught me in my guts, and they don't go away. One of it is he's good. He's, he's good. Now, does that get tested? You better believe it does. You better believe it does. But at the core of who I am, God is preserving that truth. He's preserving it. And so I may go around in a little haywire circle, but I get back to what I know in my gut to be true. You are good. And who's bringing me back there? He is because he's promised to keep me and preserve me. So we're going to look at this today. So I, it's, um, I want to come at you a little bit like this today because this is the difference between bondage and freedom. This is the difference between sitting in a pew every Sunday for the rest of your life and never taking a step forward, never understanding what freedom in Christ really means, and the difference between really living with abandon and going, you know what, those things that used to grip me in fear, they're off me. I'm not bound by them anymore. Why? Because I am connected to the God Almighty that will preserve me, that loves me, that sent His Son to die for me. Your intellectual knowledge of Scripture and the Lord will not sustain you. It will not sustain you. It will not sustain me. But your relationship with Him that's living and alive and active in a daily intimate encounter that you can have with Him every day, that will sustain you all day long. All day long. He's worth it all. Um, I'm about to be sworn into the school board where I live, Friendswood ISD, in November. I'm going to... I don't know what you say, elected or whatever. I'm joining the school board. And I'm, it's, a, it's a great honor. And they did this interview for me. They sent me this series of questions. And it was kind of a play on that Tina Fey American Express ad you see where they just ask, like, can you just give quick answers to 20 questions? Like, what's your last purchase? What's your favorite song? But the last question struck me because the, the person that sent it to me said, um, who is God really? Who is God really? And I was like, Interesting, interesting. Who is God really? And I thought, and then in parentheses, she said, um, she said, this question is just for me, Sylvia. Um, she said, this question is just for me. And so everything's, keep focus here. Um, so she said, uh, literally, sometimes when I come at it hard, women are like, you're making me nauseous, woman. I got to get out of here. No, all is well. So she, when she said that, and my first answer to her was he's worth it all. He's worth it all. And it struck me that that was my answer. Because Jason and I have been through some difficult, difficult seasons. Things have not always been up and to the right in our lives. But I'm telling you what, it's in some of those most difficult seasons that the Lord has been, I'm right here, Laura. I'm right here. And I go, you're good, you're good. I don't have the answer. You didn't figure all that out for me, but you're good. As long as I have you, I'm good. Now, was that my courage that pressed in and got together with him? And No, it was him. It was the Spirit leading me. Come back to me, babe. Come back. He's preserving me. 
and he's preserving you. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at how this plays itself out in one particular passage of Scripture. It's all over Scripture. But we're going to look in Acts chapter 16. And we're looking at the journey of Paul and Silas. Silas was his buddy, and they did all these missionary journeys together. And here's what's interesting. If you read all of Acts 16, which we don't have time to today, but if you start in verse 1 and you go all the way down, you get to see a taste of their journey together in ministry. And in the very beginning, they're in Lystra, the city, and it just is real sweet. They go and they preach and God's adding to their number and it just says a large number believed and it just looks so great. And then the next paragraph of this chapter, you see they move into Philippi, which is where we're going to find them today. They move into Philippi and when they get to Philippi, they meet a woman named Lydia. And Lydia, she's a mover and a shaker. She's wealthy and Lydia comes and she listens and she just comes and she hears just like we did today and she comes to Christ. She places her faith in Christ and says, now come stay at my house. And her whole family comes to Christ. And you think, well, that's the kind of ministry I want to do. That's the kind of ministry. I just want it to always be up and to the right. Very peaceful, enjoyable. But then now, the second part of their journey in Philippi takes place where we pick it up. And it says, one day, so read with me. It says, one day, as we were going down to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit that enabled her to tell the future. She earned a lot of money for her masters by telling fortunes. And she followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, and they have come to tell you how to be saved. Now stop for just a minute. There are fortune tellers today in this world. There are spirits that are demonic all over this world. And so you, I don't know if you've ever been to see a medium. You see this is real popular in Hollywood now, so there's lots of TV shows. And so there's a real aspect to this. But it's demonic. It's not going to lead you to life. And so if, if I can just say a word of caution to all of us is be very, very careful about that. I, I would not, fortune tellers and psychics, and it's just not for your, your good. And most of the time they're just kind of predicting based, they've just gotten real discerning, and they're just predicting based on kind of some things that you've told them. But it can be very intoxicating for women that are fearful. Because it helps us to have a sense of what's coming, does it not? Because we can hunker down. Will I ever get married? Are my kids going to make the right decisions? Will my husband, what's the next step for us? And so we make impulsive decisions that can lead to destruction if we're not careful. And so scripture is very real and it also says even the demons will cry out. They know who God is. In verse 18 it says, So they went on day after day until Paul got so exasperated that he turned and said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And instantly it left her. Instantly it left her. Here's what I want to say about this, and we're not going to spend a whole lot of time, is that you, as a follower of Christ, you have authority. You have been given authority. Just read Ephesians. You'll read all about it. You've been given authority. All spiritual blessings are yours. And part of that is, is I get to take authority spiritually in my home, over myself, over my children. And you know how Sylvia was saying, we've certainly felt the weight of moving forward in obedience to the Lord. And that's been a good thing. But part of that weight is... A lot of times I'll be driving into town and I'll be overwhelmed by this, this sense of oppression. Just this, almost like a pit in my stomach. 
And I'm like, what is that? I just thought, well, maybe it's nerves, but it's, it, I knew it wasn't. And a pastor began to talk to me and teach me a little bit more. And two weeks ago, I literally just pulled over to the side of the road, and like Paul did, I said, listen, any assignment against me, enemy, I command you to leave in the name of Jesus. And instantly it lifted. Instantly it lifted. Now here's the thing I want to be really, really clear about. As a believer in Christ, you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. So you are not possessed by any demon. That doesn't mean that you can't be exasperated like Paul and you can't be oppressed. So the difference is this possession is inside you and oppression is like a monkey on your back. Does that make sense? Everybody track him? And so that's, I have authority to cast that off in the name of Jesus. I, Laura, don't have authority, but I have all the authority in Christ. And I can say, off me, off me. There have been times I've shared, if you've been in Bible study very long with us, that I've battled fear in my early 20s, like gripping anxiety, and began to spiritually do battle. And I was like, Lord, lift this off of me. Now, it doesn't mean that you don't go to doctors. And, no, I'm not saying any of that. But there's a spiritual element to a lot of the things that we suffer. And so for me, driving up here, and all of a sudden I'm fine as I'm washing my hair and getting dressed, and I get in my car and I'm, I'm driving to Bible study, and all of a sudden I start to feel this sickness, this weightiness, this pit. I don't, think, I don't need Advil for that. I need to pray and say, that's enough. I'm done. And it lifted. And so there are things, ladies, in your lives that you feel total authority like Paul. And just say, in the name of Jesus, if there's anything that I'm battling that's spiritual here, you're, you're, you're gone in the name of Jesus. You're gone. All right, let me move on. If you have questions about that, we can talk about that. I certainly don't want that to confuse anybody, but I want to share the whole counsel of Scripture. So we have authority. In verse 19 it says, so this woman's, been, this demon's been cast out of her. Now she was possessed. She was not a follower of Christ. She didn't know about Jesus. And basically this was a form of trafficking. She was being pimped out for her ability to uh, kind of foretell the future. And so the master, in verse 19, his hopes of wealth were now shattered. And so they grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them before the authorities at the marketplace. And the whole city is in an uproar because of these Jews, they shouted to the city officials. They are teaching customs that are illegal for us Romans to practice. Verse 22, it says, So a mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas, and the city officials ordered them, to, they ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten, and then they were thrown into prison. The jailer ordered to make sure they did not escape, so the jailer put them into the inner dungeon and clamped their feet into the stocks. So here, mind you, they just left Lydia's house. They probably had a really warm meal. They've had a great night's sleep. Lydia and her whole household have come to know the Lord. This is great. We can't wait to see what's going to happen today in ministry. Can't wait. They go out in their normal daily routine, and the unexpected happens. And the unexpected is they get this girl that is possessed, that's, that's exasperating. Now, why Paul waited, why he didn't take authority immediately, I don't know. I'll ask him when I see him in, in heaven. But eventually, he has her cast out, and then the masters go nuts. 
because they see that there's real authority. So they throw Paul and Silas into prison. And not only are they in jail, because you see a lot of civil rights activists, you see a lot of activists today that are in jail, and there's some sort of badge of honor with that. No, they're beaten beyond their life. Now, here's the thing. In Roman culture, there was a Roman law that protected civil rights, and then there was another law that was administered to non-Romans. And really, basically, that law was do whatever you want. So they're beaten almost to death, thrown into prison, put into a dungeon. Now, I don't know where you are in your faith when this happens, but I can tell you, I'd be like, okay, I think I'm done. I think I'm done. Closing up shops, take your t-shirts, go home, we're shutting her down. (laughs) I mean, that is some serious opposition. Serious opposition. And yet, we come under the question that's answered yes of, but Lord, are you going to keep me? Are you going to preserve me? Well, if we're banking on him preserving our physical health and bodies, then he's not trustworthy. But if I'm banking on him preserving my spirit and my soul, okay, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep walking with him. Now watch what Paul does. Paul and Silas are in prison. And around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening. I don't know, that doesn't come to mind in my economy that that's what I'm going to be doing at midnight when I'm in a dungeon. They're singing and praising God. Do you think that's because they felt like it? Do you think they all of a sudden... Now, here's the thing. Oftentimes, I worship and praise God because I'm so content in my circumstances. Because it's just a great, beautiful day. we got a cold front coming through. It's crisp. Fall has broken. My kids are happy. My husband's doing great. I'm going to praise and worship God. I'm going to turn on Christian radio. That's typical. That's typical. But when things are going south and I'm in a bit of a pickle and I'm out of control, what am I doing typically? Help, 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 help. And I'm picking up the phone. I'm calling all my people. I don't know. Whatever it is I do to grab control to make me feel a little bit better. Some of us are grabbing the wine. Some of us are grabbing the food. Some of us are going out shopping. I don't know what we're doing to cope. But I don't bet for a lot of us, if we're honest, that singing hymns is what's the the first thing that's coming to mind. Let me submit to you and to me that worship in these types of circumstances is the very best medicine. It's the very best medicine because it's a discipline for me to get my mind back on the one that's preserving me. And so for me... I have, as I continue to grow in my faith, one of the things the Lord has been leading me into is the discipline of worship when I don't feel like it. The discipline of worship. And what is that doing? It's what scripture tells us. It's capturing my thoughts. So sometimes I literally will turn on worship music just to start to flood my mind with something other than my fear and my worry. And as I start to engage in that worship, then my literal thoughts will start to turn toward the truth. Who is God? Is He good? Is He trustworthy? Is He faithful? Is He sovereign? Does He see me? Is He aware of this situation or is He caught off guard by it? Is He in a quandary because I'm in a quandary? And I start to come against those lies that I'm believing, that fear that's causing me to go down this rabbit trail... And I pull them back, one by one. Here come the thoughts back. And I take them to the foot of the cross. And I say, what is the truth? 
and I allow the Lord to shine light on the situation and say, this is the truth. This is the truth. You're in a health crisis. That's true. Your physical body is giving out. You're suffering. Your marriage is struggling. Your children are not well. You are not well. This is true. But this is not all that's true. I am with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I am sovereign. I am good. I am faithful. I see you. I am working all things out for your good. You can trust me. And when that happens, like Paul and Silas, I guarantee you, they're encouraging one another saying, let's pray, let's remember what's true. Let's begin to sing. Let's begin to sing for their own sakes. They're not saying, okay, this is a great ministry opportunity for that jailer. So if we sing, and you know what else we're going to do? We're going to put a bumper sticker on our jail cell that says Yahweh is good or, or let go and let God. And I'm going to wear the t-shirt because my utmost, what God wants most for me is to present the image of faith. God does not need me to control his image. So Paul, and t I guarantee Paul and Silas are in there going, this is hard. This is far steps away from Lydia's house. Stir up your faith. Paul, when he, Paul writes his letter to Timothy, the, one of the last letters he writes to Timothy, he says, stir up, fan the flames of your faith. Stir it up. Be disciplined enough to take your mind back to the truth. And then you begin to remember, okay, you're preserving me. I may die in this prison. I might die. I might, might not get the physical healing that I want. My children might not outlive me. This situation, it might not get better in the way I want it to. But here's what I know to be true. I am safe and secure in the hand of Yahweh. And He is not going to leave me in a pit, an emotional pit, a physical pit, spiritual pit. He's not going to leave me in a pit. Psalm, four, I mean, Psalm 40. He lifts me up out of the pit and sets my feet upon a rock. And he does that often and most times without any of my circumstances changing. But here's the thing. I can't be your faith. Your sister, your best friend can't be your faith. You, at some point in your life, have to decide, is this true? Is Scripture true or is it not? Is it true or is it not? And let me tell you, the experiential understanding of it being true, that is icing on the cake. That is a gift that God wants to give you. But I'm telling you, it's when you're in the foxhole, it's when you're down in the pit, that you got to stir up your faith and tell yourself what is true. And you've got to step on those emotions that are saying, no, you should really be panicked. You're alone. You're afraid. Nobody sees you. Nobody cares. Your kids are totally going wayward. Whatever those fears, whatever those things are, you've got to step on them in place of, Lord, you see me. You're with me. God, comfort me. I need your comfort. You keep me. You keep me. If you, if you study scripture, you know that the disciples, Jesus' best friends, they didn't die well. God's chief concern for me is not my physical well-being. He's not flippant. 
He's not um, immune to that. He doesn't ignore it. It matters. But the thing that matters, because the thing that is eternal is my spirit. Is my spirit. You've walked into MD Anderson probably before. You've walked into hospital rooms and you can see the difference with those that understand that and those that don't. John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist Church, said this one time. He said, the difference between Christians and non-Christians is Christians die well. Because it's not the end. It's not the end. So this life of adventure that the Lord wants to lead us on, you and me, this calling that he has on our lives, boy, it requires, I'm all in. I am all in. Because here's the thing. We're going to die. Tragedy is going to befall us whether we know him or not. Because you and I are living in a fallen world. Boy, I want to go through it with him. Because I want what's waiting for me at the end. And in the meantime, I want to understand his comfort. I want to understand his perspective. I want to understand and taste and see there's a God that's good. There's a God that's bigger than all of this. This is not the end. This election, November 8th, that's not the end. Seriously. Whoever wins, whatever. There is a God that is in charge that is over whoever wins, whether they acknowledge him as Yahweh or not. He's the creator. He's the creator. God help us. We're in a quandary. But it's not the end. I'm not losing sleep. And Paul didn't either. Verse 26, so the jailer hears them singing. I'm going to wrap this up. He says, suddenly there was a massive earthquake and the prison was shaken to its foundations and all the doors immediately flew open and the chains of every prisoner fell off. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself. But Paul said, don't, stop, don't kill yourself. We're all still here. The jailer called for lights and ran into the dungeon and fell down, trembling before Paul and Silas. And they brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Here's the thing. The Lord will do volumes through your obedience. If you'll just trust him, you'll be amazed. You'll be amazed at men and women that approach you and say, give me some of that. If you'll just authentically start to trust him, if you'll just say, this is scary, I don't understand it, but I'm banking on you. I'm banking on you. He's worth it. He's worth it. And here's the thing. When I stir up my faith and I start to go, God, you're bigger. I am not going to give way to this fear. I'm not going to give way to all this. It's not that it's not real. You have to pretend like it's not there. No, it's there. You just have somebody that's bigger than that. That's when the sweet stuff starts to happen. That's when Paul gets to see a, all of a sudden an earthquake happens. So much so that the prison doors are open. You know, Peter in chapter 12 is also in prison. And an angel appears to him and unlocks the prison door and walks him out. Amazing things happen if you'll just trust him. If you'll just not give up on him when everything around you is falling apart. If you'll just take that little step and say, God, my faith is so small. Would you help me? He'll say, baby, faith like a mustard seed can move a mountain. Just like a mustard seed. Listen, we have the great privilege of praying for you every week. 
And I'm telling you, Sylvie and I are the ones that read and understand and know what those requests are. There is a lot going on in this room. And not just with us. <laughs> There's enough with just the two of us. <laughs> There's a lot. There's a lot. Why? Because we live in a tough world. In a tough world that is not kind. And here's the thing. It's a privilege to pray for you. It is a privilege to pray for you. But here's what I'm asking, is when you are at that lowest place, what do you do next? Would you say yes back to him and say, you know what, just this time I'm going to take a different route. I'm going to turn on some worship music. I'm going to get my head flowing in the right place. I'm going to start to take captive those thoughts that are leading me down the rabbit trail. I'm going to bring them under the authority of Christ, meaning I'm going to compare them to Scripture. I'm going to grab the truth and let the lie go. This is what's true about me. This is not what's true about me. It's your choice to believe it. When the jailer says, what must I do to be safe? Paul and Silas replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. Believe. He didn't say, clean it up, change, apologize. He said, believe. Believe. Everything hinges on what you really believe. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much, Lord. I, I, I sense, Lord, in our world that I feel it almost feels like we're in the fourth quarter of the game. And we're done with being nice and we're done with playing church, God. And we need your spirit to fall on us. We need you, God, to teach us a new way of thinking. God, we need you to bring into light those subtle lies that we've believed our whole lives and we've never even recognized them for what they are, a lie from the enemy. God, would you bring into play, Lord, show us what it is that we need to relinquish and let go of and say, God, no longer am I going to believe that, but I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. Lord, I want to be like Paul and be able to say, I've learned how to be content in every situation with plenty or in want. You are not good based on my circumstances, Lord. You're just good. And I pray, Lord, would you work that deep down into our souls. In Jesus' name, amen.